Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, we're studying the book of 1 Peter, and I cannot think of a more applicable book in all of the Bible for us that are living in the 21st century. It's just filled with practical insights for daily living. Now, if you're joining us here physically or joining us online, and and you've never made a decision for Christ— uh, we just want to say we're still glad that you're, you're here, that, you're, that you'll just keep coming back. The one thing is for sure, the church is not all for the convinced and the already committed. Although most and many are that gathered here, there are still many who are trying to figure out um, things. And they've looked at the world for answers, and they've come back uh, left empty-handed. You know, they're looking for reason, purpose, and meaning, and something more than just, you know, drinking up on the weekends and hopping in someone's bed. So there's got to be more to life than that. And we don't assume that everyone has it all figured out when we gather together. So we always tell people, you know, listen, think, and ask questions when we gather together. Well, the verses that we're going to be looking at this morning, I believe, are kind of the the center verses of the entire book of the Bible. Everything kind of hangs around these four verses. Because these four verses are going to tell us who we are and and, and what we should do. Uh, who we are. It's, it's like our identity, and our identity impacts everything that we do. How we think, how we do our job, how we interact with our neighbors. It impacts everything. Our identity impacts how we act. If we fully embrace our identity, it will radically impact our behavior. If we fully embrace our identity in Christ, it radically impacts our behavior in the world. One person said it this way, everyone, everyone acts according to their convinced identity, always, without exception. We act out of who we are. So what is our identity? What is our identity? Because Peter actually addresses it, who we are. In fact, we're going to look at two verses that we kind of briefly looked at last week because those two verses help introduce the next two verses that we want to look at. Uh, If if you remember um, in verses 9 and 10, this is how it goes. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, right? Once you weren't. But now you are people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter's going to identify four things that are our identity. He says you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're God's special possession. But you know what happens? So many people hang on to their false identity. Some people will say they, they hang on to the past. They made some major mistake in their life, and that's their whole identity. They can't let it go. You don't know my past, Donald. If you knew my past, that's who I am and that flows out of them, their past. Some people find their identity in their performance. As long as they're performing really well, then things are going great. But as soon as they don't perform well, boy, it's not so good. Uh, Some people, their whole identity is in the problems that they're facing right now. Their whole life is built around what's happening right now, the problems that I deal with uh, day to day. Some people, they find their identity in, in... and prideful things. Maybe it's the job they have. Maybe it's the neighborhood they live in. Maybe it's their children. Their whole identity is built around their children. And Peter's going to tell us those are all false identities. And remember, we act out of who we are. 
our identity impacts how we act. Now remember, as I said over and over a number of times over the last couple of weeks, Peter is writing to a Jewish audience who have now become followers of Jesus. And so these key words would really resonate with a Jew, Jew, Jewish audience. I want to read for you from Deuteronomy. This is God uh, speaking to the Jewish people. When we talk, we're, talk about this word, chose. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, powerful verses here. This is what God says. For you, for you are people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than all the other people. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. He's reminding the, the group of believers, you have been chosen. They knew that as Israelites, that yeah, God had chosen us. But he's saying you have been chosen uh, by God. Just a reminder, Abraham did not choose God. God chose Abraham. Moses did not choose God. God chose um, Moses. None of us, none of us will find ourselves in heaven one day, gathering a crowd around and say, hey, come on around and let me show you how smart I was to choose God. Not one of us will do that. Because God hunted us down and he chose us. The Israelites, God says, I didn't choose you because you were great in number. I didn't choose you because you had moral superiority. I didn't choose you because you deserved it. He says, I chose you because of my grace. It's God's grace. One of the greatest pictures, I think, of being chosen is this the whole idea of adoption. When a parent chooses this child, not because they've done anything, not because something significant in their life, just because they love them, they chose that child to be part of their family. That's what God has done. He's chosen us to be a part of the family. This would really have resonated with those uh, Jewish believers. So you're a chosen people. That's part of who you are. That's your identity. He also says you're part of the royal priesthood. Of course, the Jewish people would have understood what a priest was. And there's only one tribe that were priests. But now Peter is saying, no, no, no. You are a royal priesthood. You don't have to go through anybody. You have direct access 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can go to God and ask for forgiveness in your car, down at the beach, in your office, in your bedroom, while you're out for a walk. We all have equal access to God. We are all on level ground. And Peter's reminding us, this is our identity. This is who we are. You're chosen and you're a part of a royal priesthood. He goes on to say, and you are a holy nation. That is your reputation. A holy nation. You know, we think of different people groups. We kind of give them characteristics. Uh, like Italians. We say, ah, oh, those Italians, they always are talking with their hands. That's what kind of we think about that. Uh, the Dutch. Uh, we have lots of Dutch here. You know, Dutch are known to be frugal, uh, right, with their money. Uh, Japanese are kind of known to be very hospitable people. I'm from the East Coast. A lot of people in Ontario think the East Coast people are just, oh, so laid back. Whatever happens, happens. If you show up for work on time, great. If you don't, no big deal. Right? That's kind of maybe the reputation for East Coasters. 
We're a holy nation, he says. We are set apart. We are to be different. That is our reputation. This is who we are. This is our identity as followers of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, you are God's special possession. Again, this would have resonated with these Jewish believers, and it resonates with us as well. In Exodus chapter 19, in verses, verse 5, it says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then, of, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Peter is reminding us, this is who we are. And when we know who we are, it does impact how we live our lives. When we fully embrace our identity, it will impact how we live our life. That's our identity. We belong to God. And when we fully embrace all of this, it will impact our behavior. When you recognize your identity, you know what happens? You become more secure and less sensitive. When you embrace your identity, you become more confident and less fearful. When you embrace your identity, you become more peaceful and less in conflict. So embrace your identity in Christ. So the question, knowing this is our identity, what are we going to do? How are we going to live when we identify ourselves as a follower of Jesus? How are we going to live our lives as a Christian? Paul says it this way, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We represent God. We are his ambassadors. That's how we're to live out our lives as a representation of God. We act out of our identity who we are. As a follower of Christ, we have a couple options how we can live our life. We can show it, or quite frankly, we can blow it. We have some options when it comes to living out our faith. And Second Peter tells us, once you know your identity, this is how we're to live out our faith. It's found in uh, verse 11. Dear friends, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. How are we going to live in a world where the world is hostile towards Christianity? Well, he reminds us, he says, friends, you're exiles, you're foreigners. This isn't your home. You're, you're sojourners. You're just passing through. Much like when a, a student leaves home and goes off to university and he's living in the dorm. Uh, it's a temporary residency. He's a temporary resident. There's no plan for him to settle in there for the rest of his life. And that's the same idea for us as Christians. We're not to get comfortable here. We're just passing through. It isn't our home. We're foreigners. We're sojourners. We're like exiles that are just here for just a short time. We're temporary residents. And so Peter is, is telling us how we ought to live our life. 
in this world. And he says, beloved, as non-belongers, we don't belong here, as non-belongers, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires. Now, the people he's addressing to, they have a past. Because in 1 Peter chapter 4, I was reading this, it said, for you, and remember, this is the people he's writing to, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. That was who they were. <laughs> but they have a brand new identity. And because they have a brand new identity, it impacts everything that they do, how they live their lives, um, how they uh, behave. Now, I realize when you've been involved in things like that, maybe the temptation to go back into that can be quite enticing. I, 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 as you know, live on the East Coast, grew up on the East Coast, and my last stint there, I was there for 16 years, and not once, not once did I go into the Atlantic Ocean. It is too cold. There has to be a lot more global warming taking place before I'm going to get into that ocean. But I have friends that swim in the ocean all the time. And they say to me, I'll be out on the beach, like, Donald, come on in. It's so refreshing. It's beautiful. Now, they say that as I watch them turn blue because they're so cold. But I see through those invitations. Let me tell you, the world will invite us in. They'll say, it's refreshing. It's good. It's fun. It's a great time. And that's where we need to be able to be wise to see through some of those invitations and be able to say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And I realize it's easier said than done. Sometimes, you know, as students, maybe there's that peer pressure. Maybe we have peer pressure from family. Maybe we have peer pressure from bosses and neighbors. And, you know, we feel this pressure and then we are willing to give in. But I want to tell you, at those moments, you'll be tempted to think I am all alone I want to tell you, you are far better to be all alone than to be somewhere you don't want to be, shouldn't be, and doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Dear friends, abstain from sinful desires. Peter is saying to us, go to war with your sin because your sin is at war with you. We're, we're at war. And Peter's saying, some of these things will sideline you. They'll, they'll get you off track, designed to destroy your life. Peter's saying, go to war. Fight against those desires. The Apostle Paul puts a list together, actually, of, uh, of sinful things. It's found in Galatians. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. He says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and all the like. When I was looking at that list, it's a big list. When we read 1 Peter chapter 2 and it says, you know, abstain from all sinful desires, I think sometimes we immediately go to the big ones. Oh, he's referring to all those sexual things. Which Paul highlights, sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, drunkenness, and orgy. That's what he's saying. Fight against that. Which is true. Then other people say, well, no, we're in a spiritual warfare, so we got to fight against, you know, there's a demonic world out there, and we got to fight against it, which is true, because Paul highlights that too, idolatry and witchcraft. But you know what really stood out to me in this list? The huge list, this big list, the most, are all the things that deal with relationships, everyday relationships. 
See, when we think about abstaining from sinful desires, we think of those big things, oh, sexual sins and, you know, the demonic world. But Paul highlights all these relational things, the things that happen when there's conflict in relations, like your neighbor, your spouse, your boss, your child, your parent, your teacher, your student. Peter is reminding us, fight against all those sinful desires because here's what we know to be true. Sinful people respond sinfully when we're sinned against. That's our default. And what happens when we feel like someone's sinned against us, what do we do? We get angry, we gossip, we're sarcastic, we have cruel words that we say, we're judgmental of others. And Peter's telling us, no, 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 fight it, man, fight, fight. Fight it with all that you have because it will sideline you. These sins will, are set out to destroy your soul. And so fight. You know, there's a lot of wars going on in this day and age. We, we hear about them all the time. There's a war on poverty. There's a war on drugs. There's a war on human trafficking. There's a war on protecting the environment. There's culture wars. There's all kinds of wars. And let me tell you, those wars are tough, but they a lot easier to win those wars than the war that rages within all of us. And it's not a popular war that we talk about. But there's a battle going on to destroy who we are. And it goes after our soul. And Peter's just saying, hey, look, when you're tempted, when you're tempted, fight the battle. It's worth fighting. It's worth fighting. Peter goes on to say, do what is right even when you are treated wrong. Because there are going to be times you have some accusations that are against you. It just happens. But do what's right even when you are being treated wrong. And maybe it's your church friends. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your parent. Maybe it's a child that you're in this really sticky relationship and accusations are flying, do what's right. Even hostile people who may be against you, there's a potential that one day they could praise God with you. So show people Christ by your life. Fight the sin that is within you so that one day People, too, may be able to praise God, who once were your accusers. If you and I would live 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, there may be a day that will come when those who criticize you will praise God because of you. Because of the way you lived your life. Now, I said you could show it, and I also said you could blow it. Well, Donald, how could I blow it? Here's one way sometimes we blow it. I'll call him worldly will. You know, Will knows that Jesus died for him. He knows God. And he goes out and he does uh, everything out in the world. He's with the world. He's with them doing everything that they do. The problem is nobody sees a difference. And you, you blow it. But then there's also pious Pete. <laughs> You know, he can blow it too because he's making the decision, I'm going to withdraw, I'm going to stay in my little Christian bubble, I'm only going to do Christian Bible studies, and I'm only going to have Christian friends. The problem with them, you know what happens? Nobody ever sees them. They're not visible. And then along comes somebody like um, a biblical Barbara. 
who sees Will and says, okay, that's not working. Sees Pete and how he's living his life, well, that's not working. And comes to the conclusion, you know, Will's got a good point that we should live among the world. Peter's got a good point because we're, we're to abstain from the uh, passions of the flesh. So the conclusion is we must live among them, but keep our holiness. You know, maybe you're here and you think, well, I've already blown it, actually, Donald. I've blown it already. If you remember back in verse 10, it says that we were once without mercy, but then God gave us mercy. He offers forgiveness and a fresh new start. Mercy, that's God's commitment to offer forgiveness every time you need it on this side of heaven. And he's happy and he's willing to do it. In fact, Jesus anticipated that because when he went to the cross, he not only died for our past sins and our present sins, but he died for our future sins. He died for those sins that we consider unforgivable. That is the mercy of God. And he's generous with his mercy. So you may be here this morning, you may be watching online, and you just feel like, I blew it. I want to remind you, trust God for his forgiveness and a fresh new start. Now, some of you may say, I feel like I've blown it in front of some of my friends because I haven't really lived what a follower of Jesus would live like. You know what I say? Go. Go talk to some of your friends and say, you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And the way I've been living my life, you know, the last, maybe, I don't know, last couple of months, maybe the last couple of years, is not how I feel like I should be living my life. I'm embarrassed by how I've lived when I consider myself to be a Christian. But God offers forgiveness and he offers a fresh start. We do things like that. You know why? So that one day, those who maybe point fingers and criticize us, one day they may stand with us and glorify God. Thanks for listening. And consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.